Hello everyone, <laughs> welcome to the Hobbit Dojo Podcast, I'm Ross, this is Root, and today we have a very special guest with us, um, our sensei, your sensei, everyone's sensei, Scott Sensei. Hello. He's <laughs> <laughs> thrilled to be here. <laughs> um, so, Scott Sensei, we were talking last week about New Year's resolutions or goals, do you have one? No, as, as Paul Gascoigne once said, I'll never make predictions and I never will. Um, I've never made any resolution at all, and I, I'm resolute about that. You, you tend to, to make changes when you first... Dramatically. Say, yeah, dramatically. <laughs> like, Once every four years. <laughs> what is it you see? Every year you have to sacrifice another... <laughs> element of my life, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. And yeah. a few doggies. I was, I, was having, I was having a bowl of soup for lunch today with some bread and no butter. <laughs> and it was only 10 years ago, I remember, I would have two massive Cornish pasties and a cream cake for lunch regularly. And now it's, it's soup with, and I'm, I'm no, slowly kind of taking the butter off the bread. <laughs> and one day it'll be no bread. And eventually I'll take the vegetables out of it and it'll just be a bowl of gruel <laughs> once a day just to keep my body going. Is he talking about poverty or ageing? I can't tell. <laughs> Let me assure you, they're both the same. <laughs> um, so no year's resolutions and goals. Interesting. Uh, but before we kick off with uh, interviewing Scott Sensei about all the wonderful things, he's got a new article out. Um, you know, New Year, what, what he's got planned, it's, what's happening in the HDKI and stuff. I saw, did you see the controversy with the Gillette ad? I saw it, yeah. Well, I I heard about the controversy before I saw the ad. Yeah. Um, it's, an, it's an ad by Gillette, the razor company, and they're addressing the issue of toxic masculinity, I guess. They're, yeah. they're sort of hopping on the Me Too movement bandwagon. Um, lots of people are accusing them of cashing in on it. A lot of people are accusing them of, you know, sort of trying to take down men altogether and eliminate <laughs> any trace of masculinity that we have left in, left in society. Yeah, I mean, nothing nothing attacks you more than telling you not to be a dick, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you I know, mean, be, feel so attacked. Be nice. But if someone has to tell you not to be a dick, it's probably too late. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, it, it made me think about an interesting topic of when you have a case of toxic masculinity or... You know, maybe some underlying small dose of sexism in the dojo, which I think you know isn't uncommon. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I've definitely heard of cases. I've definitely witnessed someone maybe not not knowing that they're being sexist because they're, they're not thinking about it in that way at all. No, but these, these things kind of slip in subconsciously. Yeah. They're called microaggressions. Microaggressions. There you go. Mm -hmm. the, our activist in the corner here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was just wondering. Uh, <laughs> There'd be microaggressions for Rube. There'd be normal aggressions for us. It's just very small for him. Yeah. For those of you not watching with the aid of television, I'm five foot five and a half. <laughs> um, so I was just wondering uh, to get your take on it, Scott and and Rube and. What do you? What would your plan of action be to, to try and stop those microaggressions happening in class, happening in the dojo, happening on a seminar, when it can happen? I, I mean, I think that there is, there's always been a case on a seminar where, you know, men refuse to partner up with women for certain drills, mm. um, maybe a, a bit dis dismissive of them sometimes in the dojo. Um, it does happen, not all the time, but sometimes, mm. and. It's happened here, like, a number of times. It's happened on courses I've taught quite a lot over the years. And, like, I remember one specific case here 
And um, it was actually when John Mullen was over here teaching and uh, Graham XXX uh, was, <laughs> was, was, was training and he paired up with uh, somebody, a, a lady, and he didn't want to. So he went, oh, you should go over and pair up with the other lady that was in the class and I'll pair up with his, her partner, who was a man. And I, and I, I, I don't know, times like that, I kind of like, I say things before I even think, and I was like, Graham, don't do that, that's sexist. And uh, and he was like, well, what are you talking about? And I was like, you can't do that, and, and I kind of told him what to do, and then it moved on. <coughs> then after the class, he got really upset about it because he said that I, I'd said that he was sexist. And I think, I think it was probably, I, I eventually diffused the situation, but I think there was a difference, there's a difference in sexist, actions and someone being sexist and I think you've got to be careful about that and, and make sure that if you do call it out which I, I did, I called it out as a sexist incident, not necessarily referring to him as being sexist it was just something that he did that was sexist, now I, and I think like these microaggressions are a little bit similar like people can do stuff that might be aggressive, that doesn't mean they're necessarily aggressive, they've just done it without thought and if they put thought in it and, and, and in consideration they maybe wouldn't have done it, so I think sometimes when that happens, you have to call it out for what it is, and but with the understanding that that just because that happened doesn't mean that they're necessarily that type of person. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you gotta, I suppose, analyze yourself. You yeah. know, a, a life unexamined is a life not worth living. So you gotta be aware of what you're doing and call your own actions into question. And I suppose the more you do that, the more you'll become aware of the things you are doing, which are maybe a little bit racist, a little bit sexist, a little bit ableist, whatever. Everybody does it. Um, catch myself doing it all the time. And, uh, you know, by working on yourself, we can all become better at avoiding doing those kinds of things, making the world a little bit of a happier place, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, this year we have our HDKI women's competition um, in Dudley, is it? We have it in Dudley. Yeah. And when it comes to stuff like that, like that, that's a women's only competition. What do you say to people like you know, young men, young teenagers who go who are love competing and stuff, but they say, why are we being excluded from an event? Like, do you think that that's a problem? Do you think that it's just listen? This is something that there's far more men competing than women. They're wanting to encourage women, so that's it. Deal with it. Like, do you think that there's there should be some sort of balance? Do you think that's a positive thing, a negative thing? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's like all positive discrimination. It can be, it can be taken by the other side and used um, as justification why they're they're kind of being disadvantaged. But like, you can't disadvantage the majority. You can't disadvantage the the group that have already had all the benefits. So. Um, you know, you, you people need to have a little bit of awareness and, and say that if you're trying to have some sort of positive discrimination, it's to readdress the balance. But ultimately, it is about trying to create balance, I think. And and all you're trying to do is is do things that eventually produces an equilibrium. When that when that happens, things will n not be noticed anymore. It'll just be a competition again, um, rather than having specifically to be a beginners or a female only or a some sort of competition like that. Yeah, it's just looking for balance, I think. And I think we, I think that that's the, the correct way to go about it, really. I mean, I think uh, I had a conversation with one of the the guys um, who competes a lot, who was saying, "I don't understand why, you know, 
it's women only why not just you know mm. encourage them to go to competitions regardless of mm. what it is but you know again it's that way you've got like you've got to understand that not everything's black and white you know there's always gray mm. areas and and sometimes you've got to make exceptions and i think this is some this competition we have is starting to get a lot of like big a big turnout a big turnout so it is working and you start to see a lot more females on squad teams mm. competing you know the female categories when we do our open championships are starting to get bigger and bigger mm. so i think it is helping it is working and i think also it's about kind of being able to empathize and i think competitors for sure are not shouldn't by necessity necessity be able to empathize i mean if you're going to compete you don't want to empathize with your opponent whatsoever and so asking a competitor you know to empathize with with this other group or something else is, is probably quite difficult and I think also people who are the heads of organizations or corporations whatever by their very nature they often are not empathetic because they've head down focused on what they want their career their goals their determination to get them where they are and then for them to be empathetic is often a bit of a task so um yeah you got to take take that into account and and try to produce a balance by being empathetic with the the smaller kind of less fortunate group yeah. So speaking of corporate heads, um, that segues nicely into <laughs> your article. We promised the people we'd get better at segues. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always leave them wanting more, that's what I say. <laughs> um, so you've recently written a new article. Um, what, 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 is it, what is it this time? How, how do you keep coming up with this <laughs> <What> stuff? now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I was, uh, as I always do, watching uh, YouTube when uh, when Facebook gets boring uh, over the Christmas holidays, and I just I just started watching a few uh, talks. Uh, started with a TED talk, and then to some other talks by Simon Sinek, who is a human resources kind of corporate management guru type guy, and he was uh, he he'd taken an idea from um, a guy called James P. Case, I think his name is, who wrote a book called uh, Infinite Game, Finite Game versus Infinite Game, or Finite Game and Infinite Game, back in 1986. And, um, and he'd taken that idea and extra- extrapolated it out to corporations, and I kind of liked that idea and found it really applicable to uh, associations, organizational um, kind of structure. And basically what it was, he was saying that there's two, gr- two groups of people in the world. The, the people who follow the finite game. So people who have um, a finite game is like something like soccer, where you have a fixed time, a fixed number of players, a, a f- set of rules um, that everyone knows about, and the results are easily found out, easily discernible. So you play a game of soccer, at the end of the 90 minutes, you know who's won. Whereas an infinite game is where you have a number of players, known and unknown. You have a a number of rules, both known and unknown, and it's never-ending. And the the aim of the game is to stay playing as long as possible. And what he was saying is that that's basically life. Life is forever changing. It's got people that we know, people that we don't know, people that affect us that we don't know, never heard of, uh, people that affect us that we do know. Um, and the idea is that you try to stay in as long as you possible. Um, but beyond that, it's also about kind of the corporate world. Like you can't be, just like in life, you can't be a number one in marriage or you can't be the best in a friendship. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a, 
it's it's about kind of just staying in that marriage or staying in that friendship for as long as possible. And you say, like, business is the same. You can't be number one at business. There'll never be a number one at business. You just have to stay in business. Uh, whereas the, the a lot of the corporate world is based on the finite game. So it's fixed terms. You know, you have your quarterly targets or your yearly targets. Um, you have to kind of hit a hit a, a revenue stream or a, a number of of, um, of clients. And these are all just arbitrary, kind of set down by by people who in the in the corporate suite saying that you have to achieve these targets and it's completely arbitrary um, and that's why businesses go bankrupt because the the kind of this idea of shareholder supremacy so the shareholders are the most important that was only a concept that was introduced in the 1970s as a working idea but it's really taken hold and now now they are literally laying off workers just to hit arbitrary tar- targets so the shareholders profit is 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 um, maximized um, and then the workers can't afford to buy products and the business goes out to bankrupt bankruptcy i mean that's a very simplistic way of looking at it but but it, it's a it's a way that things happen whereas if it's finite so someone like um apple for example would be a finite business where it's about just staying in business and about the ideas and about the why they do it rather than the what they do and how they do it but why they do it um, that's much more kind of infinite gain, and and I think within corporations, with sorry, within no associations, you can see the same where you get people who are JK instructors who leave the JK for obvious uh, reasons. You know, the, there's there's issues with the organisation, so they've left, and then they set up a new organisation in the, and model their organisation exactly the same as uh, as the the JK was, and then wonder why there's problems with their organisation. So I just think that for me. You're looking at it like the infinite game. Infinite game. We want to make sure that we have a a, a model that has longevity at the core, and uh, and so that's what it was about. Can you give an example of what you've taken from this line of thinking or these theories and put into practice <coughs> with the HDKI? Well, the reason why I, I recognise it is because I, I haven't taken anything because what I recognize it was that's what we were doing and there's certain things that maybe we can tweak and, and and that's what we're kind of doing all the time but what um what simon sinek was saying was that to be an infinite gain you have to have um you have to have um, a just cause so you have to know, know the rationale of why you do it, why you're doing it what what do you want to achieve um he was saying that you have to have um, a rival not necessarily not necessarily you have to have a rival but what he was saying was that there'll always be rivals but you never want to look at them as competitors. A competitor is someone you beat, try to beat, whereas a rival is you look at them and you can think, well, why are they good? And they shine a light on your weakness, so it helps you improve. So having a rival is, a rival is super important rather than a competitor. Um, having a strong team, um, having a, a supporting team, um, and being a... Uh, strong enough to lead to having the the uh, the courage to lead and also being able to have a, an existential flex so being able to change your perspective and change your position at any moment so he gave a couple of good examples what one of them was um was blockbuster you know the it was yeah, like yeah. extra vision type remember of, back in the day yeah, yeah. man i remember yeah. <laughs> so, five blockbuster yeah, was yeah. <laughs> so uh so blockbuster uh, the ceo of blockbusters when netflix came online um went to their board and said, look, this Netflix subscription model, I think it's the future. We need to change our our practice. And the board said no, because 12% of the revenue came from late fees. So people return the DVD 
whatever, and it'd be late, so they'd have to pay whatever it was. Mm. Uh, 12% of their revenue was that. Within a decade, they were bankrupt. Another one was Kodak. In 1975, Kodak invented the digital camera. And... Uh, but they couldn't envision a, a business where it was the revenue wasn't based on producing and and uh, printing hard copy photographs. So they kind of buried the technology. But like you know, the genie was out of the ball. So like other people got hold of it, and digital camera was was released throughout the world. They had the patent, and they had it for thirty five years. In two thousand and ten, the patents ran out. They earned money from seventy five to two thousand and ten. Within two years, they were bankrupt. Oh. And that was a company that was over 100 years old. So to have that ability to have that existential th- flex. So if you look at the JKA, when when um, when Kanazawa Sensei left in the 70s, did they go, oh, that was, that was bad news. We've just lost a third of our membership globally. Oh, we don't want to do that again, do we? No, they didn't do that. Or when uh, Nakayama Sensei died and, and the split happened with Asai Sensei, and for a decade they were fighting about uh, who owned the rights. Um, did they when Nakayama Sensei died? It was a time that they could have done something different, but they didn't. When they eventually won the court case uh, in '99, um, they could have went, okay, we'll restructure, or a Sai Sensei's group could have done the same thing, but they didn't. So you know they've gone from the basic superpower of karate in up until 19, arguably 1989, even 1999, to just one of many karate organisations in 20 years at what point are they going to have an existential flex and go what we're doing doesn't work let's reconsider yeah. probably never will Ooh. and so that's be interesting to see if it did happen well yeah but I, I suspect it, it probably never will but like that's the difference between living in that finite game where you're game where you're always just I have a fixed term <coughs> fixed set of rules fixed amount of players or the infinite game where I'm just in this to stay in for it as long as possible because because this is about life, it's not about kind of a, a short-term goal. Yeah. Folks, if you want to read more about that, you can look up Simon Sinek or check out the article that we have been talking about. It's on Scott Langley's fan page, which is his like page on Facebook, black and white photo. Just search Scott Langley on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're talking about JK, the, the JK, the split and stuff. Like Experience of starting your own organisation trying to avoid those same mistakes mm-hmm. happening. Um, I know that when you when you left the, the JKS, um, you had a problem with like you know people who who trained with you a lot, who, people who um, had a, a strong relationship with you, still having to have that Japan connection. Mm. Um, we were recently in Japan, and we, we ha- turns out we have connections in Japan. But what, do you think that it's possible to be, to be a sort of competitor with the likes of the JKA, the JKS, Without that sort of Japanese sort of head fig- figurehead, what you mean top? as an organisation compete with the likes of a Japanese-based organisation? Yeah. Um, well, ask me in ten years' time, and we'll see. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think I, I think that the way I see the karate world now is that you've got you like say it's a spectrum of of people who train, and so you've got the ten percent at one end of the spectrum who are just Sports, sports karate guys, and they're part of the, the WKF national affiliate. They don't care. They're just there, and, and throughout their karate career, whether it be competing or coaching, whatever it is, that's what they do. And say maybe that's 10% of the karate world. 
Like, and within different countries, it kind of goes up and down. You know, if you're in like France, maybe it's fifty yeah. percent, but and you're in other countries, it's like less. But like, say ten percent. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you got the Japanophiles who who have to be long to Japan, no matter what, they have to be in Japan. And and if they're not connected to Japan, they're not legitimized. And I'm sure you know, like, is it, I'm sure there's some, I don't know. There's some bagpipe player in in Argentina who who goes, you know what? I learned to play these bagpipes in the Highlands. I'm the true authentic deal. And there's always some guy. Who, 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 Thanks for that. That makes me understand this so much more. Thank you so much. I get it now. But the, the, you know, there's always there's you know, it's like it's like the people who who have the profile picture on Facebook with them and a famous person. You know whether if they're well, we're karate kind of podcast. So you know you we all know those people who have the profile pictures with a famous instructor, as if that gives them greater legitimacy. Just the very presence of them on Facebook gives them great. So there'll always be those type of people. And again, I think they're maybe ten percent of the of the karate population. And in the middle, there's a eighty percent of the karate population who just want to do good karate, who don't really care. And in some countries, in some areas within countries. Good karate might be the local JK dojo. It might be the local SKI, or it might be the local HDKI, or maybe it's just some independent guy who knows what he's talking about. It doesn't really matter, but most people just want to do good karate. And and so if that's the truth, then the most important thing is that you are, I don't know, teaching good karate and being kind to people, providing them with opportunity, having karate adventures, and giving them a, a, a way of, of progressing on their journey like Shuhari and so that that's the way I see it so I think if you do that and that's why we do it and that's how we do it then then we can't help but sustainably kind of keep on moving forward so we'll see in 10 years time if it works excellent well I, I, I'm feeling pretty confident about it oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna be good I think it's gonna work <laughs> what do you mean it's gonna work I think it's going to work. I think we're going to be the, the last ones in the game. <laughs> we're going to be in the game the longest. <laughs> like some drunk at a Scottish party going, I still could have another drink. <laughs> exactly. Last right. men standing. Yeah. And, women. <clears throat> and women. Men in the generic sense. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Japan files, um, you spent a lot of time in Japan. Uh, you have written about it extensively, all your experience in the book. What is it that you miss about Japan? Is there anything that you miss about Japan? We recently were in Japan, and sometimes it, it seems as though it's more of a challenge and more you're more of a tour guide than this is a place that I spent a good proportion of my life and it's great to be back. Hmm. Uh, well, is there times where you feel it's great to be back? Is there things that you miss? Or do have you left Japan behind... In that sense, that's one part of your life, and that's where it stays. Um, well, ever since I left Japan, the only time that I've ever, well, most the vast majority of times I go back, I am a tour guide, and so um, there's nothing to miss. I'm just being a tour guide. What I there's I've been back twice without um, being the tour guide, and that was once for a Sai Sensei's funeral, and once for Inada's wedding. Um, and they were both times were um, 
fantastic. Not so much for a size sensei, but um, they 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 were fantastic because uh... <laughs> we can edit that out. <laughs> Uh, I'd rather you not either, either. Okay. <laughs> keep the hair going keep <laughs> um, because because what I found was that those I mean, like both times I just went to Japan for the weekend for two days um, it was just like uh, what I found was that I, what I miss is is the is the Japan me where it was it, like I, I I had a whole life there um, and living, speaking, being Japanese, um, I miss, uh, which I, I get a little bit when I'm back and taking a group over, but uh, not much. Um, uh, and I, I, those two times I was back then, I, I, it was I was back being me, where I could uh, be in Tokyo and be completely comfortable. Um, Take a big part of that is that in those two instances you're surrounded by the people that you have relationships with in Japan, whereas the other times you're with people who see you as the guy who spent time in Japan. The, um, the, the foreigner who went to Japan rather than the person who was like people you know at the, at the wedding at the funeral mm. know you as Scott who mm. left um, in Japan no like I think arguably that, that's the, the the times I probably least feel it I, I best feel it when I'm walking alone in Tokyo and I know how to blend in that nobody notices a foreigner there that, that's when I feel comfortable when I when I was kind of uh, not anonymous, but certainly part of the culture, yeah, that's that's what I miss. Um, and I, you know, actually, I'm you know I'm going to go back next year for the Olympics and take my family, but um, I, I think I'll probably have much more of a chance of doing doing it then. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, uh, I saw I opened up the uh, the Sheenboon today. But I, I, was there a new issue out? I couldn't tell. Uh, hopefully it's going to be out in the next couple of weeks. I see. Okay, well, I opened it up anyway, mm-hmm. and uh, I saw that there was a little piece for next uh, next year's Japan trip. Um, so a year from now, yeah. Um, Scott so- is going to take a group of uh, HTKI members to Japan. Uh, it's going to be February 2020? Yeah, beginning of February 2024. A couple of weeks, we're going to go to... Directly to Hokkaido to see the snow festival mm-hmm. where they have the, all the ice sculptures and everything in the streets, which are pretty, pretty cool. And then down to Tokyo and probably four or five days training in Tokyo and then down to Okinawa and like another four or five days training in Okinawa. Awesome. Mm. So uh, as an organization, HDKI has these four core values and it's innovation, respect, collaboration and tradition. Not in that order. That was the wrong order. But uh, we also have another list of, uh, uh, what are they? Sort of. Uh, there's another list of things. <laughs> principles. What you call principles. Them? Well, well, well we have, I think the we other have ones are principles. And we have core principles. Teach uh, karate and be kind to people. Mm-hmm. Karate adventures. Shuhari. And what's the last one? Well, Shuhari is the last one, but I missed one. Well. Luckily for you, provide opportunity. <laughs> How ironic! All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, so Shuhari, 
is something that I didn't know about until I heard about it from you through uh, an article you'd uh, you'd written, um, or maybe various articles you'd written. And of course, it's the title of your third book, and it's something that you have decided is going to be very important with regards what HDKI is. So, how do you, how have you uh, integrated the meaning of shuhari into the structure of the HDKI? And uh, what does shuhari mean for people listening who don't know? Okay, yeah, I mean, because I haven't, I haven't decided it's important, and I haven't implemented it. I mean, it is important, and and it and it should be part of any successful organisation. I think, I think um, that that's. You know, I didn't come up with the term shuhari. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a, it's a very famous traditional, conceptual way of of learning anything in in the East, um, and it's given the name shuhari in Japan. Shu is to learn a system. Uh, ha is to internalize it, and ri is to break the system. I mean, that, that's basically like the, the the nuts and bolts meaning. So, so shu within a karate sense, shu is like uh, learning it. So from beginner to shodan. Um, ha is internalizing it, so from Shodan to Sandan, and Ri is going beyond the system, breaking the system, creating your own system, which is uh, Yondan and above or Sandan, after Sandan. Um, and like, I don't have to, I don't have to kind of uh, facilitate it. I just have to give people the freedom to be able to express it. So, I think a lot of people, a lot of organisations, a lot of instructors, it's not that they're not facilitating facilitating it they're just preventing it from happen it is the natural course of events if if someone is allowed to continually learn and develop and so all you have to do is create an environment where that is possible and it, and and all other things being equal it will happen naturally so the i think the the important thing is is all those things that precede it feed into shuhari so if you teach good karate and be kind to people they will feel in, they're in a nurturing kind of compassionate situation and they will enjoy the learning process if you provide them with opportunity you it allows them to experience other people's karate and other styles ideas associations um, if you give them karate adventures it allows them to go out and explore not only other people's karate's, other people's, but their own world, and, and challenge themselves, and all those other things being equal, it allows shuhari to naturally happen. So something I've wondered about when when I think about ri, and although that's quite far in the future for me, um, I wonder what happens if somebody tries to disingenuously go get get go hop on hop on the the ri wagon hmm. when they may be sandan, but they they think that they're they're supposed to be creating their own system or breaking the system as you said mm. but they can't or mm. they don't know how and so therefore they try to do it and it's not natural and something goes wrong does that happen yeah of course and i think like anything anything like any art people have a good nose for things that are genuine and things aren't that aren't genuine um and I think I think if someone tries to, you know, create their own style, and you know, we've all seen, you know, Master Ken esque type people who mm-hmm. who uh, have have suddenly kind of gone away for ten years and come back, and they're a guru of one thing or another, and then they're just not genuine. And you know, people people have a innate ability to um, appreciate quality. 
as was the fundamental principle of Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. And I think that's genuinely true. I think people know something for, for its genuine value um, innately, deeply. Um, and, and if you're presenting something that isn't genuine, they smell it straight away. So how do you know if you're a Sandan or Yondan? How do you know that you're on the right track? Well, you'll, without sounding kind of, uh, I don't know, a bit massive poetry, you'll, you'll know when you know. I mean, like, you, 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 if it feels right and it's working, then it's working. I think, I think it's, like, it's like growing up. It's, it's like, you know, when we're kids, we're like, you know, when I'm an adult, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And like, you know, I'm 46 and I'm going, uh, when I'm an adult, I'm going to, you know, like <laughs> yeah. at what point, at what point do we, uh, you know, kind of realize that we're, we're, we're kind of fending for ourselves, you know, like, like when you're a parent, when you're, when you're a child, you're parented, you're, you're, you're told what to do and how to do it. And nothing changes when you're an adult. It's just that you're parenting yourself. Mm. And, um, and so I think, I think when you're kind of on that path, you you're you're still trying to parent yourself and, and challenge yourself and see if it works and that, and you can use you can use other people to give you advice just while you're an adult it doesn't mean just because you're an adult doesn't mean you can't go and ask your parents what do you think about this that and the other or your siblings or your friends or colleagues whatever you know that still happens and you find your way i see right now everyone's doing you know the ten years challenge mm-hmm. on on Facebook. You know, and and uh, we we try to we spent about that's, that's going to be in the segment later on. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, gonna, yeah. But uh, we're recreating a photo um, of yourself uh, for for the Facebook page, and uh, like made me think. Like you know, you, you've got the the book Shuhari, which, mm-hmm. which is available on Amazon and. and for anyone who's interested, um, and it's got uh, and it's a collection of articles yep. um, that you've written, and they're not necessarily in order. Yeah, they're 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 sort of all over it. But I think, do you think that from your early articles, which you were like going through, to your most recent ones, mm. can you see a change in your perspective of karate, um, and your even your style of writing and your your knowledge? Do 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 you see the difference? Do you think that there's there's been a, a progression over that period of time, and and what, yeah. what do you think's changed the most for you in terms of whether it be your training, whether mm. it be your your attitude towards karate, towards um, learning? Well, I don't think I don't think I think change is the wrong word because I don't think like when I went through that book and 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 kind of re-edited that book last year, there was there was nothing that I had written that I would necessarily disagree with um just that now i would have written the same thing but like added a whole lot more so i i'd I'd hope to think that my karate now has greater depth um than it did like some of those articles went back 25 years um so for sure i hope there's a greater depth um and also and and still what i hold held true then i still hold to be true now and and probably now with even greater legitimacy because they're tried and tested far more than they were 25 years ago um i think also my my interests have changed considerably through the, through the period and and like the, the whole idea of calling the book shuhari was because it did go from a very kind of nuts and bolts kind of physical description of karate to a much more kind of i don't know 
uh, esoteric kind of uh, description of what I was thinking about karate. So there, there was there was a there was a, a big shift there, uh, but that doesn't take away from the how true the the nuts and bolts physical articles were. You know, um, yeah, I I I I I think it's it's just about a deepening and broadening perspective of what karate is. I mean, and you know, esoteric means that you you have to understand the first level before you even realize the second level exists and you have to you have to experience the second level before you even know that the third level exists you know and and and, and so karate is in many ways esoteric uh, it's just it's just my esoteric journey through karate is uniquely mine and and yours would be uniquely yours and 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 the, you know what i perceive as karate um past the physical is always going to be very different from what you guys perceive as karate. The physical elements of karate will be the same. The nuts and bolts, kicking, punching, that's what karate is. But beyond that, um, it's always going to be uniquely your own esoteric journey. Your esoteric material is much different from, say, Rick Hutton's esoteric material. Yours is quite theoretical, where his is bordering on spiritual. Mm. So... Yeah, well, even if you do get more esoteric, you, uh, I suppose, the more esoteric you get, the more individual your outlook, your well, uh, perspective is going to be. Yeah, but what you mean by that is the description of the physical. Physical is still the same. Yeah, his Maigeri, my Maigeri, his Gakuzuki, my my Gakuzuki. Generally speaking, apart from a slightly different body types, generally speaking, the same. Mm-hmm. How he describes he's doing the Gakuzuki, and how I describe the Gakuzuki are different. Um, because because that's gone beyond the physical. I mean, like the the best way to learn Gakazuki is is you know have Rick punch you. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then <laughs> I, know, you, I know what you mean. And yeah. then you feel it, like and, that, and that's that's experiencing it on a physical level. But of course, he can't just go around the world punching people. Well, you uh, could. You do. I think people. <laughs> <laughs> you were in the I think people would love it. I, just uh, Rick, if Rick Horton ever listens, Rick Horton says he ever this. I've yet to have a, a proper Gakuzuki of you, so feel free. I, <laughs> I, think, I love getting hit by people. I got, I got a Kazamizuki actually. Now that I remember, yeah. I was it was sore, and he was nice... pu- but he was really pulling. I mean, he hard. He tried. Yeah. I mean, he was I, really pulling that punch. He gave me one of those. You know, oh, the way he slams your arm. Yeah. No, he gave no? me a reaction like across the chest. Oh yeah, I got. And it was very too. stingy, mm-hmm. and it was bleeding a little bit. Was it? And it was yeah, a little bit. <laughs> he, gave, he really went for it, but I was like, that's just a big slap. You could do that with the palm of your hand to somebody's back, you know. I, like, but I would love to see, like you know, feel one of those yakuzukis once in a while, you know. Because mm. again, that's some some cases like we're, we're, uh, with like some Steve Ubo says he you can't see what he's talking about mm. anymore. Mm. He, he's Everything he does is internal. Um, it's very difficult to see his... Like, the the depth of the tech, the depth, as you say, of mm. what he's talking about. Mm. So when he hits you, you go, oh, oh, yeah, that's it. That's what he's talking about right there. That's, and that's how you, you learn. I mean, you have a story about what someone... Was it... Yeah, Kwike, Kwike Senpai. Yeah, Kwike, Yutaka Kwike Sensei was, was teaching here. Uh, for a year, and um, and it was the first time we ever got Steve Sensei over, and uh, and so Steve Sensei came in this dojo and did his normal bit. Oh, so so uh, Scott, what would you like me to teach? And I said Sensei, um, anything. And I don't know, like what would you like? And I was like, oh, Senpai. Like so, uh, Quickie Senpai had trained with him on a number of occasions. Senpai 
what would you like Steve Sensei to teach? And he was like, Sensei, he says, you can teach anything. I just want to receive one of your punches again, please. And I was like, what the hell is he on about? <laughs> and then Steve Sensei through the night punched me. And I was like, oh, yes, that's exactly what he was on about. I mean, I learned more about karate in that punch than I'd done for a decade before. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. So if you're listening, guys, make sure you get punched on a regular basis. It's key to your progression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by as many different people as possible. Yeah. Mm. Punch yourself. No. Punching punching the makiwara is kind of like punching yourself because you get feedback and you can see, you can sort of hear how hard you're hitting it. You can see how hard back you're pushing it. Mm. Yeah, we had a wee bit of makiwara the other day. And, uh, that, that was my feeling. It, it ended up on uh, on Instagram. Yeah. Oh yeah. Instagram. People should check out our Instagram account. HDI hey HDKI oh, this is a non non alcoholic beer. <laughs> HDKI Karate. Uh, search on Instagram, folks. Me and Ross are in charge of the account, so it's nothing but priceless material. And we've got uh, three little uh, clips of Scott Sensei giving a, a lesson on. Mm, trans transferring power and uh, he demonstrates on the Makiwara and it's quite cool why are you doing podcasts because <laughs> Ross wants to because <laughs> I want to <laughs> and I want to be part of it <laughs> <laughs> like they always say opinions are like arseholes everyone has one mm-hmm. and in the karate internet world mm-hmm. there are a lot of nonsense opinions out there yeah. So I suppose we are of the opinion that our opinions are not our soul, are not <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> they are our souls. Uh, they're ju- they're still like our souls, but uh, they're a higher quality. <laughs> <laughs> they're bleached. Yeah, yeah bleached. So um, so I suppose just putting more stuff out there, and uh, we, think we, th- we think it's going to appeal to people who have a bit more of a uh, balanced. Mm approach to you know yeah. big, like with regards to training and yeah, yeah. we were yeah. talking about training we were talking about what's mm. to work on strength and conditioning yeah. wise things that can help you out mm. in our opinion and you have to kind of develop an inquisitive mind i think i think that's like whether you're doing it through a podcast or whether you're doing it through talking to your karate friends down the pub you know like you have to have an articulate mind and you have to you have to have an open mind and be willing to kind of have your opinions challenged and also to challenge other people's opinions because that way not only are you kind of uh, practicing physically but you're also kind of practicing mentally and I think vast majority of people don't do that and I think that that's the 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 weakness out of um, most people I see in karate is not the lack of physical effort but the lack of imagination and lack of uh, like they, they become stiff in their mind far far sooner far much longer before they become stiff in the body. And I think um, something like a podcast or something like, you know, uh, you know, we do like Facebook Lives or kind of discussions or Q&As and stuff like that, I think that should always be like the, the, the bedrock of any good dojo group organisation because there's an awful lot of people out there who came through the grades not being able to ask a question. And what that was saying to them was that, well, what what that, that was a result because the student, the instructor, didn't want a question to be asked, maybe fearful of not having the answer, which made them stiff, the instructor stiff, which made the student stiff, which now produces a lot of stiff karate people out there who are mentally fixed, 
and and that should never be the case at the same time if i spend too much time on youtube looking mm-hmm. at karate or listening to sensei's talking mm-hmm. i feel guilty because i know i should probably just be training <laughs> i get depressed you put all that time into tra- oh yeah <laughs> when i watch too much karate i get depressed because it's all nonsense I, I think a lot of the stuff out there is nonsense and you know recently we talked about it last week but recently we had the 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 Ian Abernethy Hikate debate mm-hmm, and I was mm-hmm. reading like we before we'd done the podcast I was reading some of the stuff and you were just like uh, and uh, I'm a like I, I watch videos of people training watch videos of people hitting the makiwara uh, and they talk about nuance after nuance after nuance and superficial elements after superficial elements and the more I watch it the more I just think oh guys at the end of the day just punch it properly like, <laughs> you know like at the end of the day it's it's not it, there's no secret like that that's, that's like my like uh, I've written an article, article for Hajime um, and it's you know what's your biggest teaching the, the best biggest lesson most important lesson you've, you've learned and the, the lesson I learned is just train hard it's like train train hard and train and be thoughtful about what you're training or when you're training like be mindful of your training as you're training hard because so many people have that known balance. I remember there was a, a use an example of there was a guy who came in to train at our uh, our summer keiko that we do, mm-hmm. um, and he was talking and he was quizzing me about the niju kun. He was and, and he was the same age as me and he was like, asking me questions. What do you think Funakoshi meant when he said this, that, and the other and stuff? And I was looking at him and go, "You can't do a yakazuki properly. Uh, you're worrying about the the." The need you can. <laughs> you're worried about like all the philosophical stuff, and it's like when, when you can do it. What's your favorite need you can again? Uh, squeeze release. <laughs> Not contraction, contraction yeah. expansion. Yeah, the one that makes sense the one that, to me. The one, the one that I'm like, oh yeah, I can understand that one. You know, but it's that it's that way where, you know, when I say to myself, I will train hard. I will be mindful of what I'm doing physically, and when I'm physically can't get any faster or stronger that's when my karate will probably take more of a Rick Horton approach and I'll start thinking about why? <laughs> you know, why am I doing this? What, what's the benefits? What, and, and start asking myself big questions. But I, well, you, get... want to be, you want to be careful because, because you, if, you, if you're waiting for your, you to physically peak before you, you uh, kind of start asking yourself those questions, then you'll never physically peak you'll like you you need like if someone's asked talking about the need you couldn't then just say oh i'm not interested in the need you couldn't and then maybe question yourself why aren't you interested in the need you couldn't i mean i'm not i've I've, i'm not particularly interested in the need you couldn't but that doesn't mean i haven't read it and i've decided i'm not particularly interested in the need you couldn't but I, i just think um it's all it's all kind of playing that going back to that finite game it's all playing that finite game you know like the, all everybody on the internet wants to talk about how to be the best at punching the makiwara there is no best at punching the makiwara there's there's punching the makiwara that's all there is and you just punch the makiwara like like everything is just yeah. an idea and and you know i would never feel guilty about kind of looking at other people's ideas like i i just filter out the the this is the best way bit of the sentence and just kind of edit it down to this is a way of punching the makiwara and then I'll I'll decide whether it's got merit or not but um I think I think you like I think anybody seriously needs to kind of constantly be looking at every possible advantage 
And if reading the need you can, if someone talks asks you about your need you can, you don't know anything about it. You know, I don't know anything about that. And then think, well, you know, next time I'm looking at the 20th video of someone punching the Makiwara, I'll I'll stop that and I'll read the need you can instead. Maybe that will add something. And if you go, well, you must use your muscles in a squeezing and and expansive and contractive manner. Oh, well, that 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 kind of has resonance. Or one day you'll read it and you'll go, you know, karate is like boiling water. You must always keep it kind of on the boil. Oh, that has resonance today. You know, there'll always be something that has resonance that will add that a little bit extra. Most of it will be rubbish most of the time, but some of it might have meaning some of the time. Possibly, yeah. Well, those two you just mentioned are good because they basically just mean... Well, the second one just means train a lot. No, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't? No. You train a lot to keep the keep the water boiling, no? Well, you've got to be careful, because like, if you train a lot, you probably wreck your body. I feel you. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not talking about kind of evaporating, the, like to use that metaphor, he's not talking about evaporating the, the water. Um. He's talking about just keeping it at that constant temperature. And I think, like a lot of people, you know, I, I often think karate is, is a bit like, um, I mean, it's kind of basically the same analogy, but I often think that karate is a bit like... Um, you have a, a, a finite amount of energy in your body. And you can burn that energy fast and brightly and achieve greatness at a young age. And then the the energy, the flame of karate will will flicker out and you'll never want to do karate again in your life. Or you, the fuel, that, that flame you have, you can just burn it slowly for your entire life. And, you know, that's, that's what you want to... Well, that's what I want to do within my karate career is, is still have energy when I'm in my 80s and 90s to still train. Kind of like the way an MMA fighter uh, kind of burns, you know, get to a certain age and they mm. don't want to do MMA anymore or uh, or Why those Tokyo University guys. Well, Tokyo is a good example, yeah. I mean, MMA, the, the, the short-lived uh, careers anyway. And so, you know, right, rightly so. Or Andy Murray is a good example. You know, he's, he's just announced his retirement because he needs a hip replacement. He's 31. Whoa. But he's a multimillionaire. And what he's saying is, I don't need to do this anymore. I've got a young baby. I don't. I want to be able to play with my kids. So I'm going to retire. Fair enough. He's, he's, he's had a very, very finite career in his 20s. That's it. But karate's not like that. So you, you, you kind of use your energy for your entire life. Shogai karate. Another Nijukun. Mm. From birth to death, you do karate. Yosh. And so, so yeah, you might be concentrating on the nuts and bolts of, you know, and I, I'll look at those things when I've reached my physical peak. Well, then you, maybe you won't reach your physical peak. Maybe you, you, you need to learn a few lessons before you knacker your body up. See, this is why I'm not at the re. <laughs> Speaking of Japanese but, slogans, and a lot of them have come up. What's the one for uh, the developing the mind and the body at the same time? They're equally important. Oh, heart and mind together, isn't it? Kokoro Shinto Ishi. I can't remember what it is in Japanese. Oh, I don't think it's that complicated. It's just like a few syllables. Yeah. Bunbo do. Bun- no, bunbu ryodo. There it is. There it is. Oh, no, that's that's yeah. That means uh, academic study and martial study together is the true way. That's it. Yeah, training mindfully though, I think that that is like, I mean that 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 train hard, but be mindful of what you're doing. Mm. And I think that's the way. Like if you look at someone like Steve Ibble who irons his clothes with weights on, 
and <laughs> does he? Yeah, and, and they will have his leg up on the table while he's doing it and stuff. Like he trains hard and continues to train hard at his age because he's always been mindful and done everything correctly. Like I remember in Staten Island, we asked, I asked him like, "How do you not get a?" Uh, have you ever been injured before? Have you ever had to deal with an injury? And he's like, you can't get injured if you have good body mechanics. And it's and he says it as black and white as that. And it's not as black and white as that, but at the end of the day, there is some merit into just, like, if you are mindful about what you're doing, you will have that longevity, even if you're pushing yourself. Like, we push ourselves in morning training, you know, especially on Tuesdays when we do it to matter, like, to our physical limit in some cases. Um, but we're still having the correct technique the correct form and stuff so we're not you know pulling muscles we're not wrenching anything we're, we're yeah, able the, to do it week in week out says the 26 year old says the 26 year old yeah <laughs> sitting next to the so 27 year old do, with a dodgy hip so see when I do start getting injuries and that's when I'll start looking oh, in the books that's when see? you'll start reading. okay <laughs> when I become the 36 year old I'll start you know I wonder oh. what this whole boiling water thing's all about <laughs> I, I just I just think um yeah, I, I, I just think that you have to prepare yourself now as twenty six, twenty seven year olds. Um and and you've got to have, you know, longevity as the, the bedrock of, of everything that you do. Is what I'm doing now sustainable? And for sure, like, you know, when I was your age I, I trained, you know, like ridiculous amounts and like, you know, you you're doing the right thing. You were both training hard and regularly just just don't not be inquisitive because inquisitiveness is a habit and if you don't get the habit now when you need to be inquisitive it might not be there <laughs> we're at an hour so we better do the fails of the week time for the fool 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 of the week what's your I can't remember fail of the week uh, you better go first because I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my my. Oh, I've got it. <laughs> Can I go? <laughs> go, go, go on in. Um, well, <clears throat> the, I feel like I'm not doing well in my body lately. Um, like I twisted my ankle last week in the middle of teaching, and uh, <laughs> my hip is just getting so bad. How did you manage that? So I was t- uh, teaching um, that plyometric bounce with my brown belts. Well, I got the steps out and everything. We were jumping, like, from jump off the step, then jump behind the step, then in front of the step again, and then driving Yakazuki. And I was, like, trying to get them in the spirit. Faster, faster, faster. I was showing them how fast I could go. And then, ouch! Ankle sort of twinged really badly. And it's just sore all the time. Like, I was walking here 15 minutes. Just every step was painful. And, uh, and uh, let me ask you, what, what did you do to remedy that? Um, Stop jumping. Let me, let me guess. Let me guess. You did nothing. Well, I don't know what to do. It's just, these things get better if, if after the, a while. If only there were experts to help you out. Oh, come on. I mean, it's like, it's like if you had a flat tire and you came to me, and, you know, on your bike and you're, and you, you, oh, sorry I'm late for, for teaching or training. My tire's flat. Oh, why don't you pump it up? Oh, 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 you can do something about that, can you? <laughs> you know, like, it's a mechanical thing. We, the, the body we inhabit is just a mechanical thing. You have to look after it. But they just tell me to rest it. Oh, will they? Yeah. So you have as much expert knowledge as <sighs> the experts, do you? 
This is your failed Okay, I'm failing. I'm failing again right now. All right, moving on. Well, I'd just like to say, you are a professional in karate instructor. You earn your living through your body. Take care of it. What's... <laughs> but what was your feel? That was like your lead up to the feel. What was that? Uh, that well, the, 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 it was just that, and also my hip was just getting worse. But I have been trying to do something about that. The acupuncturist I want to see, he's on a course this week. He hasn't been picking up his phone. Uh, so he's got, I'm going to make an appointment with him next week, and I'm going to get that sorted out once and for all. Excellent. My, my feel of the week happened uh, last, uh, last night. Um, when Well, it started on Wednesday morning in my morning class. I was teaching a. Uh, a drill where I drive where my students are paired up it was an adult class and they have to drive forward Oizuki making sure they connect with the back leg driving the power forward and the other side have to cut their hip back and land in good harmony with that compression of the back leg where did you get that idea in order from? to drive forward well this is Wednesday morning <laughs> you see Oh, and I don't know. You nicked my class I before done, I taught I done, it. I taught I, I this class, and I thought oh, I've done a good job. And then th- Thursday night, Scott says he decides to do the exact same thing, but much much better. And I was because just that's the whole time, the whole time in my head, I was just sick to myself. Fail, 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 fail. This is a fail. Why didn't you think of this? You're a failure. Oh my god. But, you know, sheer Harry and all that good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Scott says, do you have a fail, of the, a fail of the week? No. No, no fails of the week. But my, the big fail of the week, What's the, the, the universal week? fail of the week was us, as we mentioned earlier, trying to recreate that goddamn foe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we had Rue as, you know, the artsy director. <laughs> First of all, I imposed myself as director. <laughs> I, I, I was going to do it, but Rue said, you do a crab job. <laughs> As we were there for half an hour trying to get this photo take. We, we had four people trying to do a shutouki facing at a slight angle away from the camera with Scott Sensei in front, which is what the original photo looked like. The key aspect being that John Sensei, who's doing the Kenshisi here, uh, doing the internship, sorry, is behind Scott. That was the whole point. We can recreate the photo because Scott's in the dojo uh, with John. And... God, it took forever. It took forever. Oh, but it turned out pretty good in the end. Yeah. No, it really no, it did, no, it didn't. It was, <laughs> it did. yeah, it's, yeah, it's decent. It's decent. Well, as the as the as the the splurge of ten year challenges going on at Facebook at the moment, it, it's kind of got you know quite a few kind of comments and likes, which is you know after all my raison d'etre to get likes on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life is good if you're getting likes and yeah. comments. All, all positive comments. You haven't, yeah. you haven't changed haven't a bit. Changed a bit. Haven't In changed fact, a bit. much better, I would say. <laughs> sick of fans. Piss off. <laughs> you hear that, folks? No more compliments for Scott Sensei. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. <laughs> well, Scott Sensei, thank you very much for, for spending you. even more time with us this week than you normally would have to. I was paid for you. <laughs> God, I can't wait until I start teaching at weekends again. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of which, where is your next venture? Uh, well, Florida. Oh, Winter Keiko. Winter Where you abandoned the, the cold weather of Dublin for mm-hmm. white sandy beaches yeah. and tropical weather. Yeah. yeah. Winter and in inverted commas there. <laughs> we we ball back. <laughs> Time to sign off. Yes. Thank you very much. Deep bows. Deep bows and horses. Oh, so, 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 so.